Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, welcome to episode 308 with my guest, Katie Hirschberg, and her uh, dad, Alan, also chimes in a little bit during the episode. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by American Public Media. If you enjoy this program, you should check out the new podcast, The Hilarious World of Depression, with host John Moe. Here are some of the funniest comedians like Maria Bamford, Paul F. Tompkins, and Dick Cabot talk about living with clinical depression. That's a chance to have a laugh hear some real-life stories, and listen to honest conversations about a disease that should get more talk. Subscribe to The Hilarious World of Depression wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And as I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, uh, we're now accepting monthly donations through Patreon. So any of you uh, that want to move over from PayPal, its interface is much easier, not only on your end, but on my end as well. And I can uh, reward you with um, different little prizes and uh, prizes is the wrong word, but little gifts little digital gifts uh, here and there, um, depending on what level you're you're donating at. Um, anything from a, you know, little audio of Herbert's butthole thanking you to um, a one-on-one uh, chat. Um, oh, and another thing is if we get 500 monthly donors, um, I am, that's the goal, is to um, be able to raise enough money uh, fund a trip uh, outside the country so I can start recording non-American guests. Um, just record a, a greater variety of people 
hear different stories and um, learn about different cultures. So that's a, that's a hope. It's been a good week overall. Uh, I told you I'm doing online therapy now, and uh, one of the things I like about it is um, my therapist is giving me little like assignments to do throughout the, the week, and the, the one I've been doing this week is um, roles that I took on as a kid and roles that I assigned myself uh, today. And uh, until I started writing about it, I didn't realize how many different um, roles, and I suppose all of us uh, unconsciously play in our daily lives to either keep people happy or, um, you know, put our fear at bay or get what we want or, um, I don't know, it's a very interesting. Another bizarre thing, I played hockey against Justin Bieber on Tuesday night. Apparently, he played for, for my team last week, but my knee was hurt, so I couldn't play, and he subbed uh, for the team we played on uh, on Tuesday night. And um, it's interesting because I, I, if you put a gun to my head, I would not know a single, couldn't name a single song that, that he does. Um, but I do know that, you know, he's a mega famous person. And it's weird because um, you, living in Los Angeles and, and being in, the, in this business we call show, uh, you, you encounter a lot of famous people, but then there's all, like mega famous people um I mean, he's got like 90 million followers on Twitter. And I don't know if there's this, this certain energy that comes, and I'm sure it's assigned by us to them. But um, here's, uh, here's a kid who, who, whose art I have no connection to, but you're like the entire game you were aware. I was aware. I should just speak for myself. I'm defending Justin Bieber. <laughs> Do I? You know, uh, do I just play him like another hockey player? Do I make sure I don't hurt him so that, uh, you know, I'm not stabbed by a group of uh, teenage girls? And he's a good player. Very, very fast. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm I'm not going to let this little cocksucker score a goal. I mean, because I play defense and he was playing. Uh, I play left defense and he was playing right wing. So that's basically the guy you're covering. And... Um, Oh, yeah, he scored a goal in the first five minutes. And it, I I was, I didn't see him. He wasn't anywhere near me. And there was a guy that my defensive partner was guarding and so, or defending. And so I just wanted to make sure that uh, that guy, if he got past my partner, he wouldn't get past me. And he passed the puck and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, uh, Justin Bieber gets the puck and scores. And I'm like, you little motherfucker. That is not going to happen. That is not going to happen again. It happened again. Um, and this time, my, our goalie, I thought he was going to freeze the puck. Somebody shot the puck at him and it fell in front of him and a group of players, myself and Justin included, were going for the puck. And I thought, my goalie is going to put his glove over it, freeze it, and the ref will blow the whistle. And play will stop. He didn't. He kind of half-assed, knocked it over to me, and I couldn't get it on my stick. Of course, Justin Bieber, it goes between his skates. He immediately kicks the puck perfectly to his stick and roofs 
a shot, of course, and hits the post and makes a dinging sound. You know, that ding might as well have said, I have 90 million Twitter followers, you have 12,000. Uh, but I, w- and he was a nice kid. You know, we were lined up at, across each other, um, and, you know, he was making small talk and seemed nice, you know, at least from my limited contact with him. But I, I said to him, you are not scoring a fucking hat trick on my watch. And he laughed. Uh, that that when you score three goals, that's called a a, a hat trick. And um, he did. <laughs> he scored a fucking hat trick. To be fair, I wasn't on the ice at the time, so it wasn't on my watch. But, um, you know, he, I was happy for him. Well, part of me, part of me was happy for him. Part of me <laughs> felt less than, and it was weird because it. it I was. I, I was weighing the pros and cons in my mind, of. Should I just run this little fucker over? Because he only weighs like 130 pounds, and um, I, I mean, I only thought about it for a second. But it's weird how sometimes. Somebody that just arrives with baggage, be it fame or you know negativity or, or positivity, whatever, um, how it can kind of fuck with our with our heads. And um, oh, did my? I think the heat just kicked on. Hope that's not too annoying. You know, what? let me turn the heat off. So there's my uh, my Justin Bieber hockey story. Uh, I got a, uh, I was looking through the surveys, and there's a survey here from um, the, it's from the Shame and Secret survey, but I just wanted to read um, one thing from it, and it's filled out by a woman who calls herself Mazzy, and uh, she writes, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? And she writes, how do I schedule an appointment with a therapist if I have phone anxiety? Should I start with therapy or medication? I like beer. I don't want to give that up. And I wanted to, to read yours out loud because I want to, um, for one, we have an ad- advertiser that I think it's, it's, this would be a perfect time to, um, to tell you about, uh, what I think is cool about online therapy. And you're, you're, should I start therapy or, or medication first? I would try therapy first. And as far as beer, don't worry about that for now. You know, to talk to your therapist about it. Just be as honest with your therapist as you can. And the cool thing about online therapy is you can decide whether you want it to be just text or just audio or video uh, or a combination of the above. I do video and text with uh, with my online therapist. Um but our uh, our sponsor this week is Talkspace. And, um, you know, if, if you've ever thought about going to therapy because it's too convenient or it's too expensive or just, you know, for some people too embarrassing to make it into an office, um, you should seriously consider giving uh, Talkspace a, uh, a try. It's an online therapy company and um, it's super simple. They'll connect you with a licensed therapist that they pick based on the information that you give them, and you can do it for as little as 32 bucks a week. Um, 
I, th- I think it's a really, really great way uh, for people to uh, get in, get into therapy, um, especially if you live in the boonies. And uh, to sign up or learn more, go to Talkspace.com slash M-I-H-H. That's mental illness happy hour. And as a special offer for you guys, you can use the coupon code M-I-H-H to get 30 bucks off your first month. And it shows support for the podcast, and maybe they'll advertise with us again. So, uh, again, Talkspace.com slash M-I-H-H. Talkspace therapy for how we live today. All right, I'm going to read a couple of surveys, and then we'll get to the interview with uh, Katie uh, and her her dad, uh, Alan, who uh, chimes in a couple times. Uh, these are a struggle in a sentence surveys. This was filled out by greetings from the Netherlands, and she, um, oh, this is so important. I wanted to read it. This is just a comment about uh, the podcast, and she writes, I sometimes feel like because I didn't have a horrible childhood and nothing really terrible happened to me, I shouldn't be this messed up. I haven't listened to all of your podcasts, so ignore this if I'm wrong, but sometimes hearing of the difficult pasts of your guests makes me feel like I shouldn't feel as horrible. I know this is not your intention, but perhaps hearing from people who have mental issues, even though they have a fairly problem-free upbringing, would be interesting to hear. And um, I just want to say you are so not alone in feeling that way. So many people do feel that way. The reason why um, the guests' stories that I choose are often more dramatic is because there is an, uh, you know, an entertainment element to um, doing the podcast. And um, I guess less than entertainment, a um, to hold people's attention for an hour and a half, it, there needs to be a certain amount of s- drama to keep it compelling, I guess. Uh, I hope you understand what I'm saying. But I want people to know that your past doesn't have to be drama-free for your feelings to be valid. Your feelings are valid no matter what they are, and processing them is what's important, not deciding where on the scale of fucked up. Fucked up happened to me, and fucked up I feel, you know, like you're going to match those Um you know, like somebody's going to go, well, no, you, how could you feel that fucked up, that thing? It's, put that out of your mind. I feel like that was a terrible way that I just explained it, but um, that'll give me something else to talk about in therapy. JP uh, shares about her depression. I don't know what kind of depression I have. I just know I feel a constant sadness that starts with my bones and works itself outwards. That is such a great description. Starts with my bones, my God. So true about her anxiety. Uh, it feels like that panicky butterflies feeling in your tummy before you walk in to start a new job all day, every day. Um, about OCD, it's not my issue. It's my coping mechanism for my anxiety. Uh, and then this beautiful comment I just had to read because it makes me happy and sometimes I feel like all I do is beat up on myself on this and um 
she writes, I picked a few episodes that I relate to and made my mom listen. She finally gets that myself and my sister, who has BPD, have mental health issues and is starting to try to, quote, get us for the first time ever, exclamation points. It feels great. I'm 33, exclamation point, better late than never. That made my day. Thank you. Uh, I love this name. I hate you, but I'm not in hate with you. <laughs> Describes her love addiction. Hours spent imagining either what I could do to your body or say to you that would make you wish you were dead while resisting any compulsion to reach out first, knowing the instant you text me, I will become that flirty, friendly fuck because I know the nugget of an afternoon of attention from you on FaceTime will last me months of daydreaming even though I know I am in love with someone you never were, that you are just drunk, you never loved me even when we were together, and that I will hate myself. Wow, that is... That should go in the dictionary under love addiction. Thank you for that. And then this is from Lavender, uh, and she writes about her uh, depression. Uh, chronic depression is like Groundhog Day, but without the consequence-free hedonism. Profound. Profound. About her PTSD, I've already escaped the danger, but I can't make my legs stop running. About being a sex crime victim, wanting to peel off your own skin and replace it with someone else's so the places she touched you don't exist anymore. And then a snapshot from her life, writing the word adult on my hand, so I don't forget that I'm not with my abuser anymore. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job Mental illness is convincing myself I'm so alone. Why hypervigilance I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. And you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house. And you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. <laughs> I'm here with Katie Hirschberg, uh, who is 19, almost 20. Uh, she's a college student, and she is the daughter of my friend Alan Hirschberg, who is sitting in here. And uh, Alan and I have known each other through support groups for probably 10-plus years. And uh, he's a listener and supporter of the podcast. And I can't remember how we got, how we decided, uh, I decided to, to ask him, or maybe you offered, said, you know, my daughter might be a, a good guest. Uh, you emailed him something that I wrote on my WordPress. That's it. And then you put it on the website. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Um, did I ask you to bring that in or no? Uh, no, but I have it on my phone. I just have to take it off airplane mode. Okay. Would you Would you do that? Okay. Oh, should I read it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's the title again? <clears throat> a letter to my 16-year-old self. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dear 16-year-old Katie, You're in your junior year of high school, and it's proving to be just as difficult as people told you it would be. For you specifically, though, this year comes with a unique set of challenges. This year, you have developed depression, only you don't know that it's depression, you just think you're a failure. You're sad, you sleep a lot, you don't eat enough, you hate yourself. It's hard. Actually, hard is an understatement. There isn't really a word that describes what you're going through accurately. It feels as though life is a mountain that you're trying to climb with flip-flops on. You can't get very far. In the middle of the night, one Sunday in April, you will wake up and write a suicide note. You won't end up going through with it, but you keep it on your laptop and read it every single day for a week. You will lock yourself in the bathroom one afternoon, bottle of pills in hand, clutching your laptop, reading the letter to your parents over and over. You think you might do it. But your mom comes home, knocks on the door, and makes you realize that she will lose everything if she loses you. That night, you tell your parents you want to go to therapy. You make a silent vow to yourself to make it to your 20th birthday. If you can just make it to 20, maybe things will be better. It's only four years away, but it feels like a lifetime because every single day is a battle. You go to therapy. You start to get better. You stop wanting to die, but you don't really want to live either. I'm writing this to you, my 16-year-old self, who is caught somewhere between life and death, who hates herself, who's looking for love in all the wrong places, who doesn't see a happy ending, who doesn't believe she will go to college, who doesn't think she has a future, who thinks that when she does make it to 20, life will still be just as hard, who thinks that her life will be cut short after only two decades on Earth. I'm writing this to you now, four months before my 20th birthday. 16-year-old Katie, I wish I could actually send this letter. I wish that there were a way for you to know that it will all be worth it. I want you to know that, as cliche as it sounds, it does get better. As I write this, I am sitting in my apartment in college over 300 miles away from home. I'm happy. I'm not just existing. I'm alive. When I celebrate my 20th birthday in four months, I won't just be celebrating another year of life. I will be celebrating for my 16-year-old self. I will be celebrating her choice to stay alive despite the weight of her pain. I will be celebrating the fact that I am still here and that I want to be here. 16-year-old Katie, I know that you are unhappy, but this unhappiness will be short-lived in the grand scheme of things. You will get through it. You will learn self-love. You will learn self-acceptance. You will learn to live. It will all be worth it, and I am proud of you. Love, your 19-year-old self. P.S. Surprise, you're bi. (laughs) That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. Um... What do you what do you think or feel reading reading that again? Um, a lot of things. Um, I reread it a few days ago and it made me cry because my twentieth birthday is next month and just realizing where I was when I was sixteen versus where I am now is really overwhelming. And I actually found on my laptop a journal that I had started in a Word document from when I was sixteen and. I read it and it was so painful because I hated myself so much and I was so unhappy and it was so clear to me. And now I look at my life and I'm in like the complete opposite mindset. So give me a picture of what it was like um, leading up to your worst moments um, and then what changed and how is it that you got to the place that 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 you're at now? That, that that's kind of what I'd like the the arc of the interview to to be. If it... 
if possible. Okay. Hmm. But, you know, if if it feels organic to you to tell your story another way, that's fine too. Um Well, the depression started my junior year, as I said, but I've always had anxiety like my entire life ever since I can remember. I've been anxious. Um but it started getting really bad in middle school, and I can't remember all of middle school. I think that's because I've blocked it out because it was just the worst three years of my life. Um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in seventh grade, which is an autoimmune disorder. And a very painful one, too, right? Yeah, it was really bad. Um, I couldn't eat, so I lost a lot of weight. I think in my lowest, I was... 75 pounds or something and I stopped growing completely and I was in a lot of pain and it was it was hard and At the same time I was experiencing a lot of bullying for being Jewish Which is something that I had never Experienced before ever and it kind of came out of nowhere um, And that was in eighth grade So I thought that that would get better when I went to high school and it did for the most part but in high school, I entered show choir, and that was a whirlwind of anxiety and not feeling like I was good enough, and there was so much pressure because my school is the school for show choir in the country. Really? What what school? Uh, John Burroughs High School in Burbank, California. Yeah. Normally, it's a salvation for kids to get into theater or mm -hmm. music. or. I did it because it made me feel cool. And like I was a part of something. And when you're in high school, you know, you want to be part of something because that makes you a somebody. And, yeah. you know, I was a choir kid and that made me cool because the choir kids were popular because we were so good and we were undefeated and had all these trophies. And we go on TV and I was on TV twice because of this program. And that's cool. But I don't know if, you know, all of that was necessarily worth the stress. So what were the things that you began, what were some of the things that they said to you and what were some of the things that you said to yourself? I'm trying to, I want to try to get a, a, a as detailed a picture as possible of the pressure and the self-hatred and the doubt and, and all of that. Well, it was never anybody within the program telling me that I wasn't good enough, but it was one of those things where... You know, my director would say, um, if you want to be undefeated, you have to dedicate more time to this. Or, um, you know, last year's choir did this and you could do it differently and that would lead to X, Y, Z end result. Or the choreographers saying, um, we have a really big competition this weekend, so get all your homework done really fast and then, you know, set some outside time to practice or... The director saying, you guys should be getting together after school or at lunch to practice because you need it, because this isn't good. Um, and I would tell myself, it's my fault that we're not good, even wow. though it's, it's wow. the group at, that's at making what, it bad. At what age did you start anointing yourself as the, um, the problem or the, the um, reason why? things didn't because that normally that develops before then and i'm just guessing this was not the first time that you blamed yourself for something that wasn't your fault no definitely not um that would come 
pretty early on. Um, I remember in preschool once, a boy hit me in the chest, and I told on him, and I was crying because it hurt, and he had to write me this apology letter, and he said, it's your fault that I'm in trouble. And I said, oh no, I shouldn't have told on him, because now he's in trouble, and he's crying, and his mom's mad at him, even though he hit me. So it was clearly his fault that he was in trouble. It was his own fault. But because I told, it was then my responsibility. So it sounds like you were pretty finely attuned to um, how people are feeling. Mm -hmm. um, Because it obviously affected you so deeply in that moment that his sadness or his being upset was intolerable Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. So where where did that... Where did that begin? I don't know. Um, My mom, she likes to say that I'm like her in that way. We're both very empathetic. And um, my dad isn't really that way. Mm -hmm. Because when I was younger, sometimes he'd say things that would hurt my feelings and he wouldn't realize that he had hurt my feelings. And so it became impossible for me to understand how my mom could clearly see that he had hurt my feelings and he couldn't. And she would have to tell him, hey, you hurt her feelings. And he would then apologize. And so I think his lack of understanding forced me in a way to develop this understanding of how noticing how my actions affect other people. I see. Alan, uh, scoot up to the microphone a little bit. Um, what what do you think um, hearing that? Well, it's not inaccurate. I don't know that I wasn't aware that I might have been saying something that was a little harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just it was more of a dynamic between my wife and I because my wife tended to be a bit enmeshed. And so I felt like it was my responsibility to the one that told the truth and mm-hmm. whether, you know, and not sugarcoat things. Mm-hmm. So it might, in comparison, it probably came off as harsh. Yeah. And then but she... It, it wasn't your intent to It wasn't to ever hurt. my intent to hurt, yeah. no. I don't think very many parents, it is their intent to hurt. Yeah. I, I think sometimes it's just... Uh, sometimes it, we're reacting out of frustration. Yeah. And it may not even be frustration with our child. Mm-hmm. It could be something that's going on there. We have a... Definitely because Katie's the only child, there's three of us, there's a triangulation mm-hmm. that goes on in the relationship. And so, you know, my wife has always has admitted that she was the one who felt like she had to keep everything together, you know. Uh, and then, you know, within the dynamic, I mean, me being the, as we've talked about, you know, we know each other for support groups, you don't get there by accident. Yeah. So me being the... And you're, uh, you're a recovered uh, alcoholic I'm, drug addict. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, long-term sobriety. Yeah. But uh, as we all know, just because you don't drink and use doesn't mean you don't act like an alcoholic occasionally. Right. Yeah. There's, there's there's definitely the dynamic of, a, of the addicted one and then the codependent in our yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Katie, what do you think, uh, hearing your dad say that, what do you think or feel? I think he's right. Yeah. There was a lot of that um, in my childhood. I would describe it as my dad was distant and my mom was too close to try to make up for that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a whirlwind of yeah. many different things. And um, Alan also uh, battles depression. Mm-hmm. And anxiety, uh, sometimes severe, uh, nearly crippling uh, depression. Yes, and that's that's been a battle uh, for you for a long time. 
long time. Yeah. And then more recently, on top of that, we add in a little bit of OCD, mm-hmm. actually a lot of OCD, so, mm-hmm. which is a, it's, it's a, has exacerbated the anxiety. So, yeah, I've, I've battled mental illness my, my whole life. And mm-hmm. um, being a parent, definitely, I felt more of a responsibility to, to take care of myself in a way. In in hopes that I wouldn't, you know, the the fact that I had mental illness wasn't going to adversely affect her, um, you know, uh, whether or not I was successful, yeah. that's that's remains to be seen. Yeah. But that was part of the motivation for seeking treatment and and medication. But uh, yeah, it, it you know, there's there there was a and there's a lot you know below the depression there's a lot of anger there and yeah. Katie is very perceptive extremely perceptive yeah. and so she knows when something's when you're off yeah and she can tell she always knows when when there's discord between my wife and myself she's aware yeah. of it without us even saying anything i haven't met many kids who were really really depressed that weren't also great at picking up emotional cues inside their inside their house yeah. does that make sense to you katie yeah yeah mm-hmm. can you talk about that um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, when my parents would be having kind of like a rift between them, of course, I'd blame myself for it as I, I, I did that a lot. They'd be, you know, in an argument and I'd think, oh God, what did I do this time? Because one of their biggest disagreements has always been how to raise me mm-hmm. because they had two very different ideas of how I should have been raised. And that caused a lot of tension. And then I went away to college and things got better because I was no longer there to cause the tension or I thought I was causing or the tension. Or to hear the disagreement yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. so... Things have gotten a lot better now that I'm an adult and I live away from the house part time. And uh, had you had you or have you ever expressed this uh, to your parents? Yeah, several when, times. And when was the first time? Oh, I don't remember. Do you remember, Dad? We kind of did family therapy with her therapist. She did individual, but we also met. Usually, one or the other, or both of the parents would come in at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the appointment, and so that was a, that was definitely where a lot of this discussion started. And how um, old were you when that started the therapy? And whose idea was it? I was seventeen. Sixteen. Sixteen, seventeen. It was around my junior year, and it was my idea. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> a, a few things fire me up as much as a kid asking for help. Just anybody asking for help, but especially a kid. That's And then to have a parent support them oh, is just the cherry on top. They're smiling, giving, <laughs> giving each other a thumbs up. Um, so let's go back to, um, unless there was something you wanted to expand on with uh, talking about picking up on emotional cues and them disagreeing and you blaming yourself. What, what, what other things would you blame yourself for? Um, well, outside of the family dynamic... If my friends are ever upset, I think it's because they're mad at me or I did something or, you know, like inquire if something were going wrong, I think I did something or 
even if I had a really bad teacher in high school and they just didn't know how to teach and me not understanding something was on them, I'd think I'm stupid. Like, I'm not getting this because I'm not smart enough to be in this class and I should have taken something else or I should just drop out. You know, it's not worth it. I would imagine sometimes social situations are excruciating to you with, with that kind of burden on yourself. Oh, definitely. Especially living with other people now that aren't yeah. my parents. It can get very, very difficult. Yeah. Can can you talk about that some more? Sure. Um one of my roommates, well, actually, all of my roommates currently um, have some flavor of anxiety, depression, mental illness. So sometimes one of my roommates in particular will be in a downswing and she'll come off as very cold or distant or she'll snap and I'll think, oh, my God, she's mad at me. Oh, she did. Like, I didn't do the dishes and it's, she this is just spiraling out of control or, oh, my gosh, something that I said triggered her and she's not telling me. And I don't I don't know what I did, but it, I know it's definitely on me. It's not her. It's me. It's my fault. And then we talk about it and things are fine and it's not mm -hmm. my fault. But for a very long time before I bring it up, I'm just tor torturing mm -hmm. myself because I think that I did something. So uh, everybody has a, a, a personal length of this one. What is your unreturned email, unreturned text, freak out uh, time? When does the freaking out begin when when it's unreturned? Um, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, uh, as soon as I realize that they're not going to text me back, I freak out and I think, yeah. oh my God, why did I say that? Because sometimes I don't have a filter and I know that sometimes, like my dad, I can come off as being kind of abrasive without intending to be or offensive because um, I just, I don't think a so lot of So sometimes you do upset people. Sometimes I do upset people mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not my fault at all and it's really hard for me to, to tell you know, which one is it? Like, which one is it this time? Is I, it me or is it them? I very much relate. And there are few shame spirals as intense as the unreturned text, unreturned email, because you don't know why. Mm -hmm. You know, I can handle it for a couple of hours because I know other people have lives. But when it hits the 18, 24 hour mark, because I know 90% of people check their email that often mm -hmm. at least i think they do um yeah it's it's miserable it is give me some other things that that you um blame yourself for where you go right to shame i'm imagining shame is a is a big player yeah. on your team yeah um another big one that caused a problem in the uh, vancouver airport once was i can't send food back at restaurants you'll just eat whatever they serve you eat whatever they serve me so i ordered a pizza and it had a ton of balsamic vinegar on it and i hate balsamic vinegar but my mom had made a subtle comment that i should try something healthier than a hamburger so that's why i ordered the pizza flatbread thing mm -hmm. and i just i didn't like it and i was super hungry and cranky and we we're in a different country and you know so my dad suggests just send it back and order something else 
but I was sitting there like, no, I can't because if I do, then the chef's going to be mad at me and the waitress is going to think that, you know, this is, you know, such an inconvenience to her and this is wasting food. There are people that are starving and I'm just like a terrible person and this is just such a first world problem and I can't send this back. And so we got into an argument about it and it was bad. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't get up the nerve to start sending food back until I was probably 40. Uh, so <laughs> you're not alone in that one. I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, what are, what are some other, some other things? Um, have you improved with that one at all? No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Um, and my fear is all the same reasons that you did, that this person's going to go home depressed, that they didn't do a good job mm-hmm. at their work, or the manager's going to be standing there and fire them. Yeah. And then their child's going to starve, and I will have killed a child. Yeah. Another one is um, I freak out when it comes to being nice to people in customer service, because um, two of my best friends work in customer service jobs in the fast food industry, and I freak out that they're, the cashier's going to think I'm not being polite enough, or if I forget to smile when they hand me my change, that they're they're going to think that I was just some angry customer. Yes. And I, I don't know why. And I get so anxious when I have to go yes. up to a counter to order food because I, like, I freak out. I have to like consciously remember, say please and thank you. Don't rush your order. You know, just like yeah. make sure that you have the best interaction with this person that they're going to have all day or else you ruined it. <laughs> Do you, when you go into a shop and browse but don't buy anything, do oh you walk out God. extra slow so they don't think that you hate the store yes. or that you're stealing something? It's so terrible. Or I have to make, you know, really loud comments like, oh my gosh, this is so cute, but I'm broke, you know, so that yeah. maybe they'll hear me and think, oh, she's not buying something because she doesn't have any money, not because she hates it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that I was a 19-year-old college girl. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you overuse emojis just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. I freak out when I'm sending text messages. Um, I don't put periods on any of my texts because I'm afraid that that will be too harsh. So I leave it open-ended. And I took off auto-capitalization on my texts, so they're all super casual. You know, no caps, yeah. ever. You know, just very chill, very calm. You know, I'm happy to be having a conversation with you right now. Yes, I want to be doing this. Yes, I like you. Wow. You're my friend. Wow. Um, Don't even get me started on Twitter. It's bad. <laughs> what, are, what are some other um, things that you struggle with or reasons that you put blame on yourself? Um, if I comment on a friend's picture on Instagram and they don't, respond right away i consider deleting it or freak out because i think oh my gosh they're gonna think that i'm so stupid they don't want this on their picture they didn't want any comments on this picture they just want it to be blank you know or oh my gosh this sounds like i'm flirting with them and they're gonna think i'm in love with them and oh my gosh no i don't want this to come off the wrong way and you know being a millennial is so hard sometimes with social media because there's all of these things now that add to my anxiety because I freak out whenever I post anything or comment on anything or like anything that it's sending a message that I don't want to be received, but I can't not be on social media because then I'm an outcast and I'm out of the loop. Yeah. How do you participate without getting tackled? <laughs> you yeah. Know? And how do you not participate without being shamed 
for not participating. Yeah. That must be hard. Mm. And your brain is going a thousand miles a minute. Yeah. What what helps you? Well, we'll get to that when when we get over the the hump of uh, your suicidal uh, stretch. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what other things um, leading up to that uh, contributed? Um. Gosh, I think a lot of it was a lot of the self hatred came from not feeling pretty because boys did not have crushes on me and I was that you knew of that I knew of and I was never in a relationship when I was um in school and I I don't know why that got to me so much but I felt like I wasn't pretty because I wasn't being desired by other people mm-hmm. and you know, I would constantly compare myself to other girls in my class. And, oh my gosh, she shops at Abercrombie and Fitch. That means she's skinny enough to fit in their clothes. So if I buy something from Abercrombie and Fitch, that means I'm skinny enough to fit in their clothes. And so there was one Christmas where I asked for Abercrombie and Fitch gift cards. I hate that store. (laughs) I hate it so much. It smells... Like, the smell of an Abercrombie and Fitch store is so overwhelming that every time I walk past one, I think I'm going to pass out. What does this smell like? Entitlement. Yeah, yeah, entitlement. It's just a lot of girls started wearing makeup, and mm. I had no interest in wearing makeup, and I thought, oh my god, I need to wear makeup. I'm so ugly. But, of course, I never did. I, in all 12 years of school, I did not wake up before, like, 7.30 to do makeup, unless I had like a dress for imp- dress to impress thing for choir. I never bothered with that. But the fact that I didn't bother bother with that um made me feel like oh, like I'm ugly. You know, I don't wear makeup. I'm, I'm ugly. Different. I'm different. Um my hair, I hated my hair for so long because you know, a middle schooler sees a girl with curly hair and says, have you ever straightened it? Oh my gosh, you'd look so cute with straight hair. And then I'd go to the salon and get my hair cut and I'd ask her to blow dry it straight. And then I would not wash my hair for like four or five days. Really gross. It would get so greasy, but it would be straight. And I'd go to school the next day and everyone would go, oh my gosh, your hair is so cute. Oh my gosh, you're so pretty. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is it. I have to have straight hair to be pretty. This will make me pretty. And so I asked for a straightening iron, and then I was too lazy to straighten my hair every day, mm. and I didn't want to ruin it. And it's just all these things. And, you know, middle school boys are awful. Yep. They are. And when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, they put me on a steroid called prednisone, which has a lot of testosterone in it. And it made me eat a lot, and it made my face swell up, and I gained. 20 25 pounds back because i was eating like a 13 year old boy you know Mm. two cheeseburgers you know one cheeseburger in each hand just like all this food milkshakes just like Mm. it was it was the best time of my life honestly because (laughs) i was just eating so much food and my parents were like yeah okay go for it you want to eat this sure like i was too i was dangerously thin so they were allowing me to eat more Mm. and I remember one time I was sitting in math class and a boy turned around and said, hey, you have something on your chin. And I went to go wipe it off and he said, no, the other one. Wow. 
and I had a boy come up to me in the hallway once that I I went to elementary school with him, but mm-hmm. we never talked. He comes up to me and he says, "Have you gained weight?" I was like, what? Excuse me? Like, I was so taken aback. I don't even think I responded, actually. I just kind of shook my head and ran away because who asks a person that? I had never talked to him. A junior high boy. Yeah, I had never talked to him before in my life. And I was just like, what? What? Like, do you remember physically what you felt in in those moments? Oh, I was so embarrassed. I was I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh my God, I'm so fat that even people I don't know can tell I've gained weight. So if you had to, let's say if it, there was a teeter-totter mm-hmm. and self-blame is on one side of it um, and them just being rude is on the other side of it, where how what would the balance be? Um, self-blame would be all the way on the ground. You know, like these people weren't being mean to me because they were mean. They were being mean because they were telling you the truth because you needed to know it. Because I needed to know, and I would go home and I cry to my mom, and she'd say that you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And I was like, no, words are going to make me want to kill myself. That's what they're going to do. And Mm. it was just that was really awful. Seventh grade. Probably the worst year of my life ever. That was really bad. Um, it's also where my fear of throwing up in public came from. <laughs> it was seventh grade. Um, I was teased endlessly for that incident. It's just all these things. Um, because you threw up? Yeah. Uh, I had been on a medication, and the doctor told me that I needed to eat with it. And I... I hated eating breakfast because I I couldn't stomach food Mm. until a few hours after I had been awake. Um, I would gag if I was if I tried to eat something right after waking up. So I didn't eat food with it. And we had the mile run in PE that day. So I ran the mile and then afterwards I was feeling really sick and I was to my friends. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sick. I'm going to throw up. And so they were walking me to the nurse and I went in the bathroom because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. And there was a line and because it was recess. And I said, I'm going to throw up. And they said, ew, get out. <laughs> so I, they kicked me out and I went in the hallway and I threw up. And because it's recess, the hallway is densely populated. Oh. And so everyone saw it and my friends started pushing me along. And I was like, I'm not done yet. So I kept throwing up down the entire length of the hallway and I did not stop until I reached the end of the hallway and I just heard all these people saying to their friends like don't look oh look away oh my god oh that's so gross oh ew oh my god oh is that Katie oh gross like of course it's her like oh yeah of course it's me you know and oh my god that was that was traumatic that's that's like out of a movie like a nightmare out of a yeah high school movie but it's my life (laughs) wow so um ever since then i'm so anxious about throwing up in public i don't have a fear of throwing up um but throwing up in public yeah so i went into eighth grade thinking nobody likes me i don't deserve to have friends like there's a reason why people left me i don't belong anywhere the you know feeling like i was other how did it take you another two years to be suicidal? 
I mean, my <laughs> God. That, wow. That yeah. is a lot. I just want to ask your dad just to chime in here. What, what is it like listening to her? I know none of this is probably new to you, um, but what's it like listening to your kid share all of this stuff? And, and scoot up to the mic, if you would. Well, it's not easy to hear. Um, you know, I, I don't believe I ever heard that particular story about throwing up in the hallway. Mm. Uh, it's possible that she told me, and I don't remember it because you know, I'm old and feeble. But um, <laughs> and you're an uh, alcoholic, so you're self-centered. I'm just self-centered, like me. Anything, but but it's it's also possible that I never heard it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I knew that you know I, we could tell from the outside that that she was struggling, but that there wasn't a whole. I mean, there's, you can't force friends on somebody. Yeah. And um, you know, we would try to arrange for for. Think we like some of the parents, you know, so we would try to do things together. Um, but it's just it's difficult to hear. We, I know how cruel I know how, the, how cruel middle school was. It actually cool a lot of cruel. The, cruel the intergirl things that were going on started really in around fourth grade, and the fact that it started so young. Uh, I remember one time I picked up a penny off the ground because it was shiny and it was a lucky penny and i picked it up and said oh and my that's gosh, what people a penny. do that's what people do yeah. and this kid comes up to me and goes oh look like you're such a jew like picking up that penny i was like who the fuck are you like i didn't even know him another thing was i had a science folder and was just sitting in a pile with some others and i go to pick it up one day and there's swastikas drawn all over it in wow. red pen. I I don't think I did anything immediately. I put it in my backpack and showed it to my dad. And he, you know, reasonably, you know, he, yeah. he freaked out because that's, that is fucked up. For a 14-year-old, 13, 14-year-old to do that to another 13, 14-year-old, that's not okay. But, of course, the administration did nothing. They They didn't run an investigation. There are only so many people who bullied me, and there were only so many people who had access. And it would have been so easy to find out who did it, and they just mm. didn't do anything. And eighth grade is also the year we took a field trip to the Museum of Tolerance. Talking to one of my friends today, we both had our very first panic attacks in that museum. It was when we had to go through the fake gates of Auschwitz and go into a fake gas chamber to watch a video about gas chambers and we didn't want to do it and we kept saying is can we go around is there any way we can just not and all these boys saying stop being dramatic you just want attention oh like laughing because i'm sitting there shaking and crying and hyperventilating and i've never experienced this before i think i'm dying so just stuff like that yeah. and at the time i didn't really attribute it to them just being assholes i thought that oh my god if only i wasn't jewish and i'm not i'm not uh, religious at all and um it's on my dad's side only so technically in in the eyes of judaism i'm not jewish but i'm still a jew like i'm i'm culturally jewish and i just kept thinking oh my god if i was christian this wouldn't be happening to me and it's because i'm jewish that it's happening to me. And so I started to resent that part of my identity. 
And I don't think um, I've ever really reconciled that. Alan, did you want to? Did you have something you wanted to say, or are you just taking it in? I'm just taking it okay. in. Okay. I just I I've recently um, come come to realize that. Uh, although the parents of young Jewish children in America are well-meaning, that they've done a lot of trauma to their kids. How so? Well, by forcing. By when I went to religious school as a young as a young boy, you know, age eight and nine, we were showed some pretty horrific films, and we were made to believe that people really were out to get us, and uh, that we had to be ever vigilant. Or, or, or the the Holocaust was just around the corner, meaning, uh, meaning actively, and mass Look, looking on mass yeah. to uh, come get you. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. As opposed it, to there's anti-Semitism out there. The, and no, no. It's like in, the that the possibility for a return to institutional anti-Semitism was just around the corner. Okay. Um, and and I th- I think it did traumatize an entire generation. That's just my personal opinion. And, and we didn't raise Katie, um, you know, religiously, and so she wasn't necessarily exposed to that until until she mm-hmm. was at school. Um, let's let's move ahead to um, when you're 16. Okay. Just give me some snapshots from that moment that led to to the wanting to kill yourself. Was um, it just a, a a conglomeration of all the things that you listed, or was there another straw that kind of? My best friend had moved into the top tier show choir and i hadn't you know it wasn't even that big of a difference but in my mind it was monumental because she was making all these new friends and we weren't in the same class anymore our schedules were completely different because they're based around choir we're rehearsing at different times we go to competitions at different hours Mm. of the day and and it's a part of this pattern of you're different Mm -hmm. hence you're being left behind yeah and so that was one um, and the girls in my choir that year were so terrible to me. They were so mean, very catty, very judgmental, very rude, very vicious. And I felt very singled out because I was different, because I was nice. Mm-hmm. Or in my mind, I was nice. But that probably isn't how everyone would describe me. But in my in my mind, they were mean, and I was the good one, and they were all attacking me. Do you do you feel that if you if you had to kind of give weight to the the various factors that drove that? Do you feel like bullying was the the biggest things, um, one of the bigger things, or what? What do you think? I think that my own self loathing mm-hmm. was really it, and. I mean, the bullying definitely played a part in it because it fed into the idea of if I wasn't here anymore, it wouldn't matter because nobody wants me here in the first place. So why don't I just give them what they want and just die? One of the other things that led up to that was a boy that I had kind of, it's complicated. It to this day is still complicated. He stopped talking to me randomly out of the blue. And this this wasn't unlike him because he would do that a lot where he'd stop talking to me so I'd have to work for it. Um, but I confronted him about it and I said, "What what's up? Why are you ghosting me? And he said, you're just too negative. It's bringing me down. Like, it's it's affecting me. 
you being so negative and down on yourself is making me feel like shit. So I need you out of my life right now. Mm. And that was just like awful because at that time I thought I was in love with him. I saw myself marrying him and for him to say that to me, even though he was dating someone else at the time, Mm -hmm. which wasn't easy. And that just crushed me because every single time I'd get a little bit sad, I think I can't tell anybody because I'll just be bringing them down. And this boy's not in my life anymore because I'm depressed and he couldn't handle it. And it's my fault. And the, you know, we interviewed, um, uh, a guy that used to work the, uh, highway patrol guy that worked the golden gate bridge and he would talk people off the ledge and he said the one thing that every person that wanted to jump off there said is i'm a burden Mm -hmm. i thought that i definitely did i thought i'm a burden to my parents me having this disease is a burden to them because they have to take me to the hospital they have to pay for my medication um i'm a burden to my friends I'm a burden to myself, you know. I hated myself so much. So I, then so then what changed? Um well, going to therapy helped. But it wasn't really until I got to college that I I noticed a change. Um being away from Burbank was amazing because I got to meet people who weren't in the bubble that is Burbank. And I got to meet people who loved me no matter what and cared about me. And I made so many really amazing friends. And in college, I, I'm i thriving in, in class, you know. In high school, it was really hard for me to keep up with my schoolwork. But in college, you know, I'm getting all these good grades all of a sudden. Like, I have a 3.8 GPA. Professors like me. You know, I'm, I'm being independent. I'm living on my own. And the depression got a lot better. And then it, it got worse again. And then it got better. And now I'm on medication. So it's great. Things are great. Were you diagnosed with uh, with something? Yeah, I have depression and anxiety and OCD tendencies. Okay. Um, do you remember, was there a moment when you realized, oh my God, I'm out of the burning building? Yeah. Talk about it. Um, it's very recent, actually, because um, I'm new to the medication. And I had the realization yesterday at breakfast with my mom. And I was talking to her about it. And I said, I'm so happy to be home because I'm so happy to be here, still, alive. And I started crying in the middle of the diner, and people were looking at me, and I didn't care that they were looking at me crying. And I just, I remember saying to her, I said, I'm just so grateful to myself that I got help. And I'm I'm so happy that I'm here right now, you know? And so that was yesterday (laughs) so yesterday was my out of the burning building moment wow i i don't think we could end on a better moment than than that (laughs) that that thank you so much for coming and sharing your life and and alan thank you for being my friend and um yeah thank you thanks for having me
You know, we talk about loves a lot on the, the podcast, and I got to tell you, I love when I record an episode where I feel like I have given voice to a segment of the population that we haven't covered enough on the, on the podcast, and I know a lot of our younger listeners um, have really been wanting to hear uh, from some younger guests, um, so uh, that just covered so much stuff. That was just... Um, and that letter, man, many thanks to uh, Katie and Alan. Before I take it up with some surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can support us financially by becoming a monthly donor, either through PayPal or, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, through Patreon. Um, you can, um, if you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through our search portal. It's uh, just click on the Amazon logo on our homepage and it will uh, um, take you there. Um, you can, actually you'll have a choice that'll take you to a page where I think you'll either have a choice of books we recommend or just shopping at Amazon in general. Um, and uh, if you buy something, Amazon gives us a little bit of money. It doesn't make the price of what you're buying any more expensive, but it really adds up and helps keep the show going. Um, you can support us by... Um, non-financially by spreading the word about the podcast through social media, um, giving us a nice ratings on iTunes that boosts our ranking. Sometimes that brings more people to the show. Uh, any or all of those things uh, help and are greatly appreciated. Enough of my yakking. I've got a pretty big stack of surveys. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Nitta, and uh, she writes about uh, her, she shares a moment from uh, her first therapy appointment. She says, uh, I just had my first therapy appointment and afterwards I was obsessed with if she liked me or thought I was a whiny bitch and I'm like that with everyone I meet. Um, and don't, don't worry about that. I think a lot of people, um, feel that way in, in the beginning of therapy, but that's part of what the therapist-client relationship is, is building that trust. And that kind of, at least for me, became the template for me to learn to trust outside of the therapy session. So um, the important thing is to is share that with your therapist because that will give you that will give your therapist a peek into what is going on inside you so that your therapist can better help you. Uh, this is from the what has helped you and Mulk uh, writes about uh, depression, anxiety, and eating disorder and self-harm. What's helped combination of meds, therapy, stable relationships and and self-care or at least trying. What have people said or done that have helped you? My therapist, if in doubt, says do nothing. Hunker down. This is a bad wave. Ride it out. I agree. Take a nap. Don't feel shame. And fuck Tony Robbins. I want that on my headstone. I'm napping. Fuck you, Tony Robbins. <laughs> uh, awfulsome moment from Die Another Day. She writes... Uh, 
So there I was, crying my eyes out, snot and everything, and your podcast was going on in the background, and you said something about masturbating while crying. Well, suffice it to say, I second that motion. I think what she's saying is that she decided to try masturbating while she was crying. And by the way, we call that master sobbing, uh, which brought up the thought, there's still a free hand. Is there something that maybe you can do while you're masturbating and crying? And I thought, what about writing a gratitude list? And then what would that be called? Master grobbing. I would not judge you if you turned off the podcast right now because you found that not only uh, in poor taste, but comedically really awful. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, running away from myself. And I just want to read um, a portion of this. She is uh, straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. I would call it chaotic. Um, her, her home was very unsafe. There was no consistency. Uh, there was sexual abuse going on, but um, it, it was a sibling that was molested by her father. But you can imagine all the shit that, that, that goes with that. I mean, really, really um, a lot of chaos. And um, she writes, any positive experiences with the abuser? She writes, I see my mother more as a victim. She loved me unconditionally. How much do I hold her accountable? And I just want to say, just talk about it. You don't have to worry about that right now. Just talking about it with a therapist or a support group or a friend, um, in the in the talking about it, you will begin to process it, hopefully, and then you will find out how you feel about it. Um, because holding someone accountable, you know, in in terms of how you feel towards them, it's not an intellectual uh, journey, for lack of a better word. Um, and your conclusion about that may change over time. You know, I was really, really angry um, at my dad for many years because he was not interested in my life. And then a year or two before he died, I it's, it suddenly occurred to me that his father was, you know, not only verbally abusive, but you know, almost monstrous in, in some ways, would taunt their kids. And I thought, my dad was probably doing the absolute best that he could to not unleash his demons on me. And and in that moment, I, I uh, went from feeling resentful to feeling um, gratitude that I was able to, that he was able to not be his dad to me. Um, but I had to go through a lot of therapy and support groups and shit to be able to arrive at that decision. And I, and I kind of feel that way with my mom, too. Um, I don't hate her. I'm not angry at her. I just can't be around her. Uh, darkest secrets. I always keep my lovers and boyfriends separate from my personal life. I have no idea why. But even the guy I dated for four years, I kept him separate. This keeps my sex life private. My, quote, number. Uh, fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, BDSM, for once not being in control. I recently told a guy I was dating about this, and I really wish I could take back those words. Now, you know what? Fuck him. If if he judges you for that, he was not meant for you. Uh, what would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Uh, I wish I could tell the guy I'm seeing that I love him. Not in the ultra 
ultra-romantic way that means we go shopping for houses together, but I love your beauty and you as a person. I know he takes this word very seriously. For some reason, people put so much weight on this word. I can't say it without feeling like some crazy clingy chick. I just love transparency. And when did admitting to love become so damn taboo? Uh, you know, my thoughts are after these two things that that I read is that love brought pain in your house. Being vulnerable opened you up to being hurt. So, of course, you would want to try to control as many things as you could and to not be vulnerable and to never experience being vulnerable and then being rejected, like when you told the guy about your BDSM. Um, but to love, we, we have to truly love, experience love. We, we have to be vulnerable. Um, otherwise, love wouldn't feel so good. Um, this is so cheesy, but if we didn't uh, risk uh, hitting the ground, it wouldn't feel so good being caught. I already hate myself for saying that, but I had to say it because I know one person will probably like that. Uh, there's so many things in your survey that I, that I just feel compelled to address what, if anything, do you wish for? Love, honesty, and trust, a family of my own, an environment where I can actually begin to heal. It starts with being vulnerable and, and taking that chance. Um, but it's key to find the people that you can be safe with. And I think therapy a good or a support group would be a good place to start. Have you shared these things with others? With one really good friend, but now I feel like a burden because she has to hear all of my crazy, and I feel like those are the only times I call her. Yeah, that is that is not a good thing to have it always be about you. You know, it, sometimes it's okay when you're in crisis and things like that, but that's not being a friend to her. That's turning her into an audience. And there's a difference between friends leaning on each other and. Um, and it being super one-sided all the time. Uh, and don't beat yourself up about that. Just um, beat me up. Bring it on. And this is so beautiful. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Can we talk to each other during those times that we feel like there is no one we can talk to? During those moments that we feel like a burden to everyone else? That is so beautiful and vulnerable. And that, my friend, is what makes support groups so great. A good support group, I should say. Because there's some out there that, you know, not that crazy about. But Sam shares about being a sex crime victim. I haven't seen my abuser since he raped me eight years ago. His wife popped up on my Facebook suggested friends with him in the picture. It was like a black hole opening in my stomach and pulling me into the darkest abyss of myself. Sending you some love. That is... Mm. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. And uh, Samara, Samara, um, her issues are depression, anxiety, and a shitstorm of emotional distress. Um counseling, a bit of CBT, a bunch of determination, love and support from my friends, mindfulness, opening up, and talking about how I feel. Um, what have people said or done that has helped you? 
Um, my friends gave me a feeling of love and security that really combats a lot of negative thoughts and feelings. Being social really helps to get out of your own head, focusing on doing something, tasting something, watching something. Mindfulness is pretty much the same thing, getting out of your own head and finding joy in things around you, being creative. When I was first getting out of my most recent spell of depression, I started pressing flowers in frames when I had a good day. I'd write the date and a little note about the good feelings of the day. That's beautiful. And uh, she also writes that CBT helped her break that cycle of wanting to avoid social situations. Um, there seems to be like a momentum to uh, isolation and, and a momentum to um, um, being healthy in a social way and, and being vulnerable and connecting. Um, I can't find you shares an awfulsome moment. After being attracted to women for years, I gathered up the nerve to go to an all-ladies bar. After 30 or so minutes, I noticed a somewhat attractive woman across the bar. I noticed her looking at me as I was looking at her. After doing some stereotypical nervous, flirty smiling and a drink, I decided to make the first move and approach her. As I started to walk towards her, she began to walk towards me. It was then I noticed we were making the same movements, like the exact same movements. I suffer from prospopagnosia, which is face blindness, an inability to recognize and categorize different faces. I'd been spending no less than 40 minutes flirting with myself in a mirror. Mortified of my mistake, I hide in the bathroom for 15 minutes until I could gather the courage to make a run to my car. I still can't bring myself to that club out of fear the bartender remembers me, and I have been too ashamed to tell any of my friends this story. I felt like a cat confronted with its own reflection. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Uh, this is an excerpt from a shame and secret survey filled out by Blood Will Out. And um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Uh, Mom, I'm worried you will kill yourself in one of your depressive episodes. I can't tell you this because I feel like if I say it, it would be the same as suggesting it and you will do it. I can't live on if you die as you are the most important guide in my life and I am terrified of your mortality and depressive episodes where you can't be reached emotionally. I am not a therapist, so I don't know what to suggest here. But do not keep that all to yourself. I don't know if if you should share something with your mom. I, I don't know why it wouldn't hurt to say, Mom, I'm scared for you, and I want you around, and there's a part of me that's really afraid that, that you're going to take your life. And um, I can't see how that would be a bad thing, but maybe talk to a therapist about it or somebody... Um, Maybe call a suicide hotline and ask their opinion. Um, but whatever your mother does, it is not on you. Know that. Um, anybody. That, that anybody that takes their life, it is, it is not your fault. Um, and this is so beautiful. Is there anything, kind of heartbreaking, but beautiful, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I probably have not noticed you walking by me in the street. You look great and caught up in your own life, just like me. 
I don't see any of those flaws, and you look like a young, healthy, average woman, and that you don't stick out to me. I can't read your thoughts, and if we spoke, I would probably like you fine enough, and maybe we would be friends. I support you, and I understand you. I allow you to go to your cocoon because I know it is saving you from your sucking anxiety. I want you to feel okay to find whatever temporary plug you can to stop the sucking and carry on. Beautiful. Especially beautiful given the fact that it had the word sucking in it twice. I mean, that's an accomplishment. That is... Victoria uh, has depression and anxiety and binge eating and a snapshot from her life, sitting on the bus like a zombie and realizing 20 minutes have passed without putting your music on. Or so zoned out you pass your stop. I've done that before. Uh, This is what has helped you. And uh, December Cat uh, struggles with depression, anxiety, um, different types of abuse, perfectionism, insomnia, and autism. And what's helped you? If I have trouble sleeping, I like to get up and do some very basic yoga stretches. Touch toes, crack back, roll neck, stuff like that. I do each of these for a count of about eight seconds until I feel relaxed enough to get back into bed. I do. I also uh, do that, and that helps. I also sometimes will uh, drink some water, um, especially with some electrolytes in it. And something I just discovered that's been really helping me is this thing that adjusts the color temperature in your digital devices, and mostly your computer, you know, notepad, phone. Um, I think there's one inherent in, in the, that comes with the newer iPhones, um, but there's there are different color temperatures to artificial light. Um, on the cold end of the spectrum is blue light, which tells your brain that it's daylight out. And most computers, that's their default color because it's the easiest to read. So um, there are programs now that will, as you tell it what your sleep cycle is, and as it gets close to you needing to go to bed, the light begins to change to a more yellow light, which your brain interprets as the sun is setting and um, it's time to you know go to bed. I suppose back from the days when you know we lived our lives get up at sunrise, go to bed at sundown. Um, and the one that I uh, discovered works for my computer that I that I really like, and this is not an ad for it, but it's uh, Flux, F period L-U-X. And um, I love it. I love it. I uh, have noticed that if I can, I can be on the computer until five minutes before I go to bed um, and I can, I can fall asleep, whereas it used to be, why am I tossing and turning for, you know, an hour or so? Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by you must be this tall to ride the emotional roller coaster. And he writes, um, I went to therapy for an eating disorder and body dysmorphia. The therapist was running late, so I decided to look at the magazine on the table in the waiting room. Every single cover had a barely clothed woman with perfect skin who was really skinny but somehow also managed to have large breasts. I guess that's one way to keep your practice in business. I tried to cover up the magazines with some from the bottom of the pile, but the ones, uh, but the covers of the ones I pulled out were all of pies or desserts. 
awfulsome. For those of you that are new to the podcast, that's a word we use for something that was awful at the time, but in hindsight is kind of funny in a fucked up way. Um, Goat filled out a shame and secret survey. Um, Goat is uh, has not specified a gender. Uh, they're pansexual in their 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. I was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was raped by an uncle. I told my mom, who says she told my dad, but that he never did anything about it. I held a lot of resentment towards my father for years. Then one day it occurred to me that my mom never actually told him. So either way, it has dictated my relationship towards my parents. Also, as much as I have tried, I can't have sex with any person with a penis. So that's probably some someone I should deal with at some point. Um... She's never been physically abused. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I would never actually do this, but my ideal suicide fantasy is bleeding out at Disneyland. Not sex-related, but the idea of bleeding profusely and dying at my favorite place fills me with so much shame because there are always children there. But the children is part of the reason it's my favorite place. So I would want them there so I can see them having fun while I die. Wow, that is so heavy. And so, I don't know if I want to use the word beautiful, um, like beautiful in, in, um, so vulnerable, so beautifully vulnerable. And I think so many of us totally get that, totally get that. Thank you for sharing that. Painted Bull shares about her uh, anger issues. Fuming with rage because your kind and loving partner put an album on your phone that you didn't ask for, therefore making your music library tainted. About being a sex crime victim. Having a panic attack, hyperventilating, and weeping on the sidewalk because the sprinklers turned on and startled you. Fucking sprinklers. Thank you for that. What has helped you? ABC Yellow uh, writes, um, and her issues are OCD, depression, and self-harm. And she writes, uh, I write a list of activities from A to Z. Uh, Like A is for art, B is for baking. I pick a random word from a book and then match up the activities I have uh, to complete depending on which letters are in that word. And um, that is a great idea. I tried it out. And I, uh, the word I picked was chrysanthemum, and I wound up in the hospital. Exhaustion. That's right. I'm standing by that joke. Judge me if you want. I'm not beating myself up. Fuck you. It's a well-crafted gem. Oh, yeah. I don't need to hear your bullshit DJ voice. Uh, shame and secret survey filled out by fuck this job. He's straight in his 30s. Raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, Uh, never been the victim of sexual abuse, never been physically abused or emotionally abused. Um, Darkest thoughts, waking up and hating a job so much, realizing it's the biggest source of my anxiety and depression that I often wish for death. Darkest secrets, just fantasizing about how I would quit this, get my boss fired, and move on with life. 
Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Fucking an older, powerful woman. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my boss that he gives way more than I can handle, gives me way more than I can handle, and he knows it, that he gives me things to do that are actually his job, and he knows I'm trapped in this and can't find anything else that pays this well, and that I should have gotten another car by now instead of using the company vehicle after mine got repossessed. This is all my fault. What, if anything, do you wish for? A job I'm passionate about. Have you shared these things with others? Some with friends, but on such a broken record and haven't acted on getting away from this hellhole. How do you feel after writing this down? Mad at myself for still doing this job eight years later, wasting my life with this shit. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? When you have money, be smart with it. Pursue your dreams, no matter your age and station in life. Don't settle for things, especially when they make you feel awful. Um, Any comments to make the podcast better? Just keep doing it. It's one of the few things I find comfort in anymore. Fuck, I'm hurting so much. That previous sentence makes me want to cry. Buddy, I am sorry that you're in so much pain. You know, it's, I don't know what to say other than I know a lot of people that have experienced what you're experiencing and they have been able to find other things eventually. Um, And it might be worth getting help if you can, uh, because that might help just kind of get your energy flowing in a different direction, um, which might change the course of things. Who knows? It it certainly couldn't hurt. But the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I'm a little older than you. All right, a lot older than you. And I think a lot of times we have to learn what we want by experiencing its opposite. You know, before I did stand-up comedy, I worked at an insurance company. And when I was able to finally do stand-up full-time, I so appreciated the creative freedom, the being my own boss, and being able to travel every single week. But after doing that for 15 straight years, um, I wound up getting a uh, a job writing for TV, and then I could really appreciate the fact that I didn't have to look for work every week or deal with airports. Um, there wasn't much creative freedom in it, but it's... Um, I like to think sometimes that we're either in the process of appreciating something or building our appreciation for something in the future, and... My hope for you is that you're just in the process of building your appreciation for something in the future that's going to happen. But maybe it just needs a little little jiggling on your end. Sending you some love either way. Um, Connor shares about his depression uh, and his self-harm. Every time I cut, I feel like my skin is a test where I got every fucking question wrong. That is so deep. That is so... 
You guys are just amazing at condensing something into a sentence. Thank you, thank you for that, Connor. What has helped you survey? Uh, lasagna with fists on the side, right? Her issues are body dysmorphia, depression, rage, and OTD. OTD? Do I know what OTD is? Is it a typo? No, the C, the C key is nowhere near the T key. Uh, somebody will email me, and hopefully they'll shame me. Uh, what's helped you? Therapy and my boxing classes. I'd like to say that therapy has helped the most, but nothing feels better than beating the shit out of the bag at my boxing classes and pretending I'm hitting all the people and things that cause me pain. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, and if you haven't listened to the episode with um, uh, Jill... Fuck, am I blanking on her last name? Morley, M-O-R-L-E-Y. She turned to boxing to deal with uh, some some things, and uh, she found some some comfort in it, dealing with PTSD and other issues. Uh, Happy moment shared by Call Me Anything. My therapy has been trying. My therapist has been trying to stress the importance of taking care of myself and doing nice things for just me. She's been fixated. On a luxury pillow I've always wanted but would never have bought for myself. She would repeatedly say, why not? You have the money and it's something you obviously would love. It's time to take care of yourself. I finally broke down and bought a beautiful goose down pillow. It was on my bed for no more than an hour when my cat claimed it for himself. That night, I crawled into bed and tried to use my new pillow My cat softly scratched my nose until I moved out of his way and allowed him to stretch out on his new pillow. He sleeps so deeply and peacefully on it, I couldn't take it back. It's been three years. He sleeps on it every day, and I have yet to buy a replacement for myself. It warms my heart to see him happy and content. You know, there is... um, the ASPCA recommends when that happens sometimes that you very, very uh, slightly uh, take the pillow and suffocate him. I th- think that was the ASPCA that said, and might have, you know what, I might have heard that in jail. I know there were bars. I just don't remember if it was at the animal shelter or if it was in jail. Standing by that joke. I'm confident tonight, at least for the next two minutes. Uh, Not Whole shares about, uh, oh, this is a shame and secret survey. He is straight in his 40s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, He has been sexually abused and never reported it. My mother and I had sex several times starting when I was 13. Buddy, I'm so sorry. He's also been emotionally abused. Um, darkest thoughts. I fantasize about murdering her, and I'm not violent. And my anger terrifies me so much, I often pretend it's a whole different person. Darkest secrets. I still masturbate while thinking about my mother, and then I wish I was dead. Um, have you shared these things with others? Only my therapist. Um How do you feel after writing these things down? Terrified there is a paper trail. 
you have nothing to be ashamed of. You have nothing to be ashamed of. There are many, many people who sadly um, have experienced what you have experienced, and you're not a freak. Um, And I want to high-five you for being in therapy and opening up about that. And I have jerked off thinking about my mom, so maybe we should have coffee. Crippled Shrink shares uh, a struggle in a sentence uh, about having cerebral palsy. Feeling like I'm in a glass room on a bed restrained in four points and everybody is walking by and ignores my screaming but taps on the glass and laughs at me. Snapshot from her life. The other day I was out Christmas shopping with one of my friends slash caregivers and a woman just came up to me and started to pray over me without even asking and told me that I would be healed. I let her do it even though I was seething inside because I was too embarrassed to let her know. An hour later I felt tingling in my legs and joked my friend, it's a miracle, but it turned out to just be a muscle spasm. Thank you so much for sharing that and that is a particular fucking peeve of mine is the person who thinks they're giving in a religious way but what they're really doing is is elevating themselves in a you know I'm above you you're below me kind of way you know it's it's um it's so patronizing you know what has helped you gar <laughs> A woman calling herself. I might have read this one before because then there. How do you forget a, a name like this? Garlic bread makes me come. Uh, her issues are social anxiety, anorexia, and binge eating. And how, what helps you deal with them? Sitting in a dim room in bed with my cat. I'll listen to a great podcast and embroider or use coloring uh, books. No creative pressure, just relaxation. Hours can go by and I won't obsess about what my next meal is. It's not like a Netflix binge either because I don't feel guilty afterwards as I've been using my mind and creating something constructive. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Murderino Manatee. uh, What has helped her? with her generalized anxiety disorder, depression, and sleep problems, crocheting, knitting, listening to music and singing, playing piano and writing in a journal. What had people said or done that has helped you? My aunt told me over Thanksgiving this year that when she has trouble sleeping, she thinks about what she would do if she could stop time in great detail. This has been extremely effective as I often fall asleep after a few minutes of thinking about it. Some of the scenarios I think about are stopping time at a bank while the vault is open and taking money or going into a store and stopping time so I can steal clothes. I'm going to stop times, time and make a citizen's arrest of you. What do you think of that? Actually, you know what would be really fun is get on a crowded elevator in pajamas and look really, really sad and then stop time and go get a pizza, go back in your exact position, and hold the pizza in your hands. And as you start time, look at the pizza, super surprised, and go, pizza? My pajamas did it again! (laughs) 
and then don't say another thing. Oh my God, how much money would I pay to experience that? Let's see. I don't think I have the I don't think I have the energy to read this one. It's too long. God, there are so many that I wish I could read. So many. <clears throat> Benny um shares a shame and secret survey. He's in his twenties, raised in a stable and safe environment. Um he identifies as kinky, submissive, but effectively asexual, maybe leaning towards gay. He's never been sexually abused or physically or emotionally abused. Darkest thought, sometimes I wish everyone's suffering real hardships and problems, Syrians, starving Africans, sexually abused children, etc., would just die. Not to end their suffering, but just so I didn't have to carry the mental burden of dissonance living a relatively safe life while they are in pain. Also, probably be good for the environment and foreign travel would be safer and less depressing, which is clearly a horrible self-centered thing to think. Thank you for sharing it, though. I think we all think dark, fucked-up things. Darkest secrets, uh, that I just ended a six-month kink relationship with a man. I had my first kiss and lost my oral and anal virginity on the first night I met him. I don't think I regret it, but I wish I could have felt more emotionally engaged with the whole thing, which is ultimately why I ended it. Some people know, but my friends and family don't. They don't know anything about my sexual preferences. Closest, yes, um, but what I do isn't exactly family-friendly, so no real way I can tell anyone. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Animal role play, dressing up in animal costumes, humiliation, cross-dressing, bondage, uh, sharing them is liberating, but I feel ashamed. My things aren't that weird, but they are very me-centric. I have no fantasies involving specific people. They just need to be people who I could be friends with and be clean and not physically repellent. Dude, me-centric, that's what fantasies are all about. You know, even if even if the the fantasy is that the focus is not on you, that's still me-centric because it's what turns you on. So don't shame yourself for something being me-centric. Um Anyway, thank you for that. Thank you for that great survey. Atlanta shares an awfulsome moment. Uh, my sister is 14 years older than me and had married a guy named Bob right out of high school. I was so young, can't even remember his last name, but I loved Bob. Christmas comes along and my mother, who has narcissistic personality disorder, was trying to be cute and flirty with him as always. Yeah, I was only four or five and even I picked up on how uncomfortable it made him. Well, my mom was old enough to be my grandmother and had grown up uh, a deep woods hillbilly. We're talking one-room schoolhouses, horse-drawn wagons, and burlap bag dresses. She believed in giving bad children, quote, coal and switches for Christmas. Translation, rocks and sticks. I was a great kid, desperate to please, the kind of kid parents would kill for. Well, my mother still thought I deserved rocks and sticks, and worse, made a huge show out of it, thinking it would amuse Bob. 
I was devastated. Of course, I couldn't cry. That was forbidden. My three siblings, all much older, thought it was hilarious and are taunting me. Cry, baby, cry. Mom and Dad did the same. They were all howling with laughter. Bob just looked around, and the look of horror on his face was priceless. Pure what the fuck. Yes, the incident hurt, but that moment stuck with me. Bob will never know the special place he has in my heart. Just that look told me I was right. It wasn't me. It was them. The marriage didn't last a year, but it had a huge impact on me. This young man, barely out of school, had his, had his head on far straighter than my parents, who were so much older. He was more of a father to my two brothers in that time than my father ever has been. He was the only person in my youth who ever cared about me, ever. Never had a close friend, neighbor, relative, coach, preacher, not one. I grew up in a cult-like atmosphere. I held on to Bob. Wow. That that is unfucking real. That you would give a kid sticks and stones. I'm going to say it. I hope your bones survived. I had to say it. That was not planned. All right. Thank you for sharing that though. This is an email I got from um it's from David Harvell. Um, I don't understand why it says this, though. It says, Dear friend, my greeting to you. I am Lieutenant Morbus Wilson Lucas. I hope I hope all is well with you. Question mark. I am a female soldier before working as United Nations peacekeeping troop in Afghanistan. Peacekeeping troop? So she was the only one. My God, that must have been dangerous. Uh, peacekeeping troop in Afghanistan on war against terrorism, but moved down to Burkina Faso last year. Burkina Faso, that right? Was that one of the kids on the Cosby show? Uh, Last year, September 2015, for special duty against military government overthrow. I have in my possession the sum of 3.5 million U.S. dollars, which I made here in Afghanistan 2014. My God, it pays to be a troop. I didn't realize that, so there must be a fixed amount that they divide among however many soldiers show up. Sweet Jesus. Now, that's why generals are so important. All right, continuing. I deposited this money with a Red Cross agent. For a second, I thought that this thing was maybe not on the up and up, but I see the Red Cross is involved. I want you to stand as my beneficiary and receive the fund and keep it safe so that soon as I am through with my mission here in Burkina Faso, you will assist me to invest it in a good profitable venture or you keep it for me until I I arrive your country. I will give you 40% of the total money for your assistance after you have received the money. Please reply back to me if you are willing to work with me so that I can send you the information where the money is been deposited. Your urgent reply is needed. Uh, Lieutenant Morbus Wilson Lucas, please get back to me here in this email uh, if you are will. Sorry if you received this letter in your spam due to recent connection error here in the country. 
I do not know what spam is. I just know that there is a folder on my computer where some of my best financial tips arrive. What has helped Anna Karenina? Her issues are bipolar 2, um, with more depression than hypomania, and anxiety. And she writes, Last week, a friend's 12-year-old daughter sent me a challenge via postal mail in which I was to, one, write a haiku, and two, send my haiku to a friend, and three, ask that friend to write a haiku as well. If all participants agreed to the challenge, this haiku train could run indefinitely. The challenge had a website where you can view on a map the traveling haiku challenge. I wasn't interested in writing anything as I've been feeling depressed and uninspired. However, I didn't want to disappoint this 12-year-old girl. I sat down at my desk, called to mind a few of my favorite moments in nature, and became 100% engrossed in generating haiku after haiku. In total, I I wrote 10 of them in an hour and a half. The only reason I stopped is that my husband walked in the door and asked what I was doing. I looked at him with a smile on my face and showed him what I had written. I wasn't smiling because my writing was brilliant. I was smiling because I had just experienced one and a half hours of being in the moment, a time during which my brain was completely focused at the creative task at hand. During that time, I was neither regretting the past nor worrying about the future. Since then, I've been assigning myself at least one creative task per week as this particular therapy is both fun and free. Man, you know, when I read this, I just, I thought to myself, don't judge. Let water flow. Tree is strong that bends to wind. Am I asshole? Yes. What have people said or done that's helped you with your issues? Uh, she writes, uh, Sarah Silverman, who struggles with depression. Depression? That's, that's, that's uh, a sadness that comes upon uh, people as they descend a circular staircase. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever made myself laugh that hard. Sarah Silverman, who struggles with depression... Uh, Somebody please write that down um, so I can tweet it. Why don't I write it down? Because I'm lazy and I'm worthless. Sarah Silverman said, uh, thinking about the past is depression. Thinking about the future is anxiety. Thinking in the present moment is happiness. I like it. I like it. And I like Sarah. Maybe I'll get to guard her and... uh, Guard her. Why? I never use the word guard. Defend. What am I doing? Uh, happy moment. Mrs. Doubtfire writes, um, this is a bittersweet one, but I'm so touched by it. She writes, uh, I have MS. It affects the left side of my body. Buttoning anything is difficult and I have no balance. I was sitting in a chair trying to button my coat this morning, struggling with it. My seven-year-old asked me what's wrong because I was visibly frustrated. I told him buttons were hard for me. He said, I'm good at buttons, and proceeded to finish buttoning my coat. I had to choke back tears. I felt happy. It was a bittersweet moment. That's one of the the most touching moments I think I've, I've read on the podcast. My God. 
Thank you for sharing that. Um, this is a happy moment filled out by Dogs Are My Forever Fur Kids. And she writes, uh, I live with my parents and we have three dogs. It's sad to admit that I live with my parents, but thanks to the housing prices here in SoCal. The dogs usually sleep on my parents' bed at night, but I love when they hop on my bed in the morning and kiss me until I'm awake. One of them is my dog, and he's a terrier chihuahua mix, and he hops up on my chest and kisses my nose while his small tail moves a 100 miles an hour. And then they curl up next to me and sleep near me until my alarm clock goes off an hour or so later. It's so nice to think that at least these three dogs love me, and it makes me cry to think about it. That, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I can never get dogs to sleep close enough to me. I take that back. Our previous dog, Charlie, who died in 2003, used to, I would I would lay on my back and she would, um, she would climb up the bed and she would climb up my side and then she would rest her chin on my shoulder and she would sleep in just a little space between my arm and the side of my body and so her her like her nose and her mouth were like right next to my face and I fucking loved it and then finally this is um, I don't think we've ever ended on one of these surveys but it's from the What Has Helped You survey and um, it's so simple but just so um, beautiful And uh, Purple Love uh, has issues of grief, trauma, and depression. And what has helped her? Friends, love, coffee, ice cream, friends, books, music. What have people said or done that have helped you? Listening, sitting with me in my pain, distracting me, and loving me despite the baggage. Thank you for that. And thank you guys. Be nice to yourself, especially this time of year. Tell Tony Robbins to go fuck himself and take a nice long nap. And um, just remember you're not alone. You are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in know some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.